0: It's Friday. How are we doing? Everybody's tired. Getting ready for the weekend. Well, I just, uh, I'm so thankful I have a few more minutes to look at this crucial topic that Jesus is better. And as we think about how incredible Jesus is, I want us today to focus in on prayer. But maybe a little bit differently than you've done before. I have a 23-year friendship with a guy named Rusty. He's a pastor in Colorado Springs. We've known each other for all of these years. We have this neat, very different kind of relationship in which we text each other regularly, encouragement. If someone's down, you know, we'll call each other. But one of the things we do for each other that's supremely comforting is pray for each other. And I don't know many things that we can do for each other that's more encouraging than praying for each other. So I just want to challenge you to find someone that you trust, that you can share your guts with, who is willing to pray for you and you're willing to pray for them. And if, so if you could think about anyone that would be specifically praying for you, at the very top of the list would be Jesus. And we have this very cool story where Jesus specifically prayed for each and every one of us. In fact, this is the only time in the entire story of Christ that he prayed specifically for the future church, for us, the community of faith. And it's found in the New Testament book of John, chapter 17, 20 through 23. And as we read this, pay attention specifically to what did Jesus pray for? Again, the only time that he prayed for us, what was on his mind? My prayer is not for them alone, verse 20. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world I know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So all the different things that Jesus could have prayed for us about. He could have prayed that we had good grades, he could have prayed that we performed well on the field in athletics, he could have prayed that we would have great hair, that we would have an amazing boyfriend or girlfriend, that we would find the person of our dreams at crown. He could pray that we would make millions and millions of dollars. I mean, on and on and on. He could have prayed for our physical health. But no, he didn't pray for any of those things. The one time that Jesus prayed for us specifically, the future church, he prayed that we would be one, that we would be unified. Which means there must be something crazy important about this idea of unity. Jesus understands the primary way in which a broken, hurting, far-from-God world is going to come to know and love Jesus Christ, is going to discover the God who is literally crazy about them, the God who sent his son Jesus Christ to take the hit on the cross for every single human being. The primary way people are going to discover Jesus is based on how we, the already convinced, treat each other. Whether or not we are unified or not, unity is supremely attractive. I love watching sports. I'm pretty excited that the Yankees are going to be in the postseason. A lot of booze. The evil empire. And I think they might be playing a team that some of you like. I'm excited about the Bucs season kicking off with Giannis, the best player in the NBA. But one of the things that's really attractive when you watch a team and you have people with different personalities and different skills, different talent level, and yet they play together. You're just drawn to that kind of team. There is something inherently attractive about unity. And it's wired into the fact that we are created in the image and likeness of a God who, at his core, exists in community. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the way we treat each other, whether or not we're unified or not, directly connects to the opportunity for people to see a God that is perfectly unified in community, the doctrine of the Trinity, Again, Jesus prayed for nothing else specifically for the future church except for this. So how we treat each other is directly connected to whether or not the people in our life, the people in our community that don't know Christ, will have an opportunity to know, love, follow, and be transformed by Jesus. Unity is attractive. Disunity is ugly and repulsive. Jesus is praying for unity. But it's so hard for us to be unified because we are divided about everything. We're Packers Vikings. That's a big division and the Packers lost last night, so you Packer haters are happy today. Costco, Sam's Club, black and white, rich and poor, Catholic, Protestant, Marvel, DC. Someone came up to me last night after chapel it was a DC fan. She was wrong. Marvel is better. North-South, Midwest-Coastal, traditional contemporary, Democrat-Republican, citizen-immigrant, Fox CNN, Starbucks, Dunkin' Donuts are up here, Caribou Dunkin' Donuts. But Dunkin' Donuts wins, as I've shared already. So we're divided over everything. And Jesus Prayed for unity. He knew how difficult this would be, but it wasn't just Jesus praying for unity. Sometimes in church, someone will come up to me and they'll be like, hey, hey, pastor, you know, why can't we be like the ancient church? You know, hey, the modern church is so messed up. And I look at them and I think, what are you smoking? Have you actually read the same Bible that I read? You realize that the ancient church was a hot mess, a group of disunified, dysfunctional people. It's why we have most of the New Testament. Paul usually starts his letters out praising the church, and then he gots them. And he says, you're all messed up. We don't want to be like the ancient church. The church has always struggled with unity. So Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1.10, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, that's the already convinced, as Christ's followers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there would be no division among you but that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. And so Paul now in his letters is mirroring the heart and prayer of Jesus that we would be one. And then Galatians three twenty six 26 through 27. Remember, these are real letters written to real people and real history. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith for all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Unity is one of the most important themes in the entire New Testament. Jesus is praying, Paul is writing that we would be one. Because a unified community of faith is supremely attractive to a hurting and broken world. Presenting the opportunity for people to come to know and love Jesus. Well, there were three primary divisions in ancient culture in the church. There were cultural, ethnic, and citizenship divisions. So you had individuals who were Jews, and you had individuals who were non-Jews, all categorized as Gentiles. In fact, there's this interesting story in the New Testament where Peter is on a roof and he's praying and he has this vision of all of these animals that he's forbidden by law to eat. But it was more than that. It would have been physically disgusting for Peter, a Jewish person, to eat any of these animals. Think if... We killed your favorite pet cat or dog. We have a little Yorkie poo. His name is Boo. He's about this big. If we took Boo, we killed him. We put him on the grill. There's not much meat on this dog. And we were commanded to eat Boo. That would be kind of gross. That would turn our stomach. But, but God told Peter, look, kill and eat all these foods that are unclean, all of these foods that would make you sick to your stomach. And in this vision, what God was doing was opening up the gates. He's saying the message of Jesus Christ is for all people. It's for everyone. It's for Jew and Gentile alike. And then God led Peter to go to the house of the occupying army at that time. The Romans. The people that... The Jewish people hated to bring the message of Jesus. The second division was positional. There was the have and the have-nots, the educated and the uneducated, the rich and the poor. There was really no middle class back in that day. So you had the landowners and you had the slaves. And now all of these people are coming together in the same community of faith. And they are to be one. They are to be unified. Talk about a radical idea, this thing of the church. And then there was a third division, gender division. Women, and I'm just reporting the news, ladies, back in Jesus' day had no rights. They, in fact, in that culture, were considered just a step above furniture and value. But the church and Jesus Christ changed everything. In which now men and women were worshiping together in the same community of faith, unheard of in ancient Jewish culture. Because now everyone can be unified In Jesus Christ. And the church emerges, a radical community that shows a divided world. How we can absolutely love and care for everyone. And how we treat each other is directly connected to how effective we will be in the power of the Holy Spirit to reach those who are desperately lost, broken, hurting, and far from God. Let me say a couple of things that unity is not. Uh, Unity is not compromising the truth. Uh, Unity is not saying everything is true. In fact, one of the things we talk a lot about at the church that we're part of Crossway Church is that we major on the majors and we minor on the minors. And the older I get, the less majors I have. There's just a few things, a few theological hills that I'm going to die on. So unity is not compromising the truth. Truth matters. In fact, truth is necessary so that we can anchor into something that will allow us to be unified. So we're going to be a little interactive here for a moment. So if you're kind of zoning out or something, I'm going to draw you back in right now. I just did we are going to say together what has been the primary doctrinal statement of just about every vein of Christianity for 1,500 years. It's called the Apostles' Creed. So this is the majors. This is kind of the, the center, and there's so many other issues. So we're going to put the Apostles' Creed up. And just a note there, when it says Holy Catholic Church, that's small c. Catholic literally means the universal church. It's it's all the authentic followers of Jesus. So what I'd like us to do together is actually say out loud, you've had your coffee today, the Apostles' Creed, because unity is not compromising our core truth. Are you ready? Let's do this out loud. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord everlasting. Amen. So unity is not compromising truth. Uh, Unity is also not uniformity. Uh, How many Star Wars fans do we have out there? How, How many people are really excited about Disney Plus? Do you know what Disney Plus is? I just bought the first year as a discounted price. I cannot wait for Disney Plus. Star Wars, Marvel, Pixar. I am going to rot my brain and eat a lot of Doritos watching Disney Plus. Well, unity is not uniformity. God is not calling us to all be stormtroopers, to all look the same way, to all act the same way. That is not unity. Unity is that in our distinction, in our differences, we are still anchored on the truth. Of Jesus Christ. So we don't need to all vote the same. Think the same. Look the same. We don't need to all have the same likes. Or have the same music that we listen to. Unity is not uniformity. In fact. Think about the first disciples of Jesus Christ. He had 12. Well one of them. Was a terrorist. A terrorist. Was actually part of the original disciples. His name was Simon the Zealot his idea of getting rid of the Romans would be to walk through a crowd with a knife and stab some of the soldiers. But then there was also Matthew, the tax collector. Matthew worked for the government. And so you have Matthew who's working for the Romans, for the government, and you have Simon, a terrorist, all together in the original followers of Christ, his disciples, This is why Jesus prayed for unity and Paul wrote about it, because it's so hard to be unified, but unity is not uniformity. If we are going to be unified, we need to understand our bends. We need to recognize that all of us have wired into us a tendency when we come face-to-face with someone who thinks, acts, looks, Different than us. We go through some stuff in our premarital counseling program at church from Family Life Ministries and a few other things. And I've taken some of this from marriage counseling and I brought it into this concept of unity because it applies. So I want all of us to identify our default mode, our bent when it comes to facing someone who disagrees with us. The first one is fight to win. Some of you are fight to win people. And this is I win, you lose. I'm right, you're wrong. You seek to dominate the other person. Personal relationships take second place to the need to triumph. Anyone right there, anyone wanna admit that they're a fight to win person? I am. Like If you disagree with you, I'm gonna destroy you. Like That's my bent. Some of you are fight to winners. A second type of person is someone who withdraws. You seek to avoid discomfort at all costs, saying, I'm uncomfortable, so I'll get out. You see no hope of resolving the conflict, or you lack the strength to confront it, so you cope by giving the silent treatment. So is your bent like a withdrawal? When you meet someone that there's a conflict, do you tend to withdraw from that person, from that situation? Anybody have that bent? We got a few out there, a few honest people. Okay, yield, that's the third one. You assume it's far better to go along with the other person's demands than to risk a confrontation. Rather than start another argument, you say whatever you want, fine. To you, a safe feeling is more important than a close relationship. So you're a yielder. Any yielders out there? You're just like, you kind of yield, and, and maybe it's a combination of yield and withdraw. See, all of us generally fit into one of these three categories. We either yield, we withdraw, or we fight to win when we come in contact with someone who thinks, acts, looks different than us. But the goal, the objective that Jesus is praying for is what we call loving resolve. And this is what loving resolve is. You commit to resolving the conflict by taking steps to carefully and sensitively discuss the issues. Resolving a conflict requires a special attitude, one of humility, of placing the relationship at a higher priority than the conflict itself. You value your relationship more than winning or losing, escaping or feeling comfortable. Uh, the goal in the diversity of the community of faith in the diversity that's represented here at Crown College is that we would engage each other, even if our bent tends to be yield, withdraw, or fight to win, with loving resolve. We understand that Christ is specifically praying for us, that we're commanded in the New Testament to be unified, diversified unity. Well, how can we do that? What's the path forward? If you go back to the prayer of Jesus, we understand that there is glory in all of us. So think about how you see each other. What we tend to do is we look at how someone's dressed. We look at how someone looks. We look at our, our initial interaction with them, and we make a judgment call. But if you are engaging a fellow follower of Jesus Christ, then the very glory of God is in them. And I believe that one of the ways in which we can engage greater unity in our diversity is to see each other equally in the sense of the glory of God. That we are now containers of the most high God. That the Holy Spirit lives in each and every one of us. That we see each other as true brothers and sisters in Christ. The other key truth is to know that Jesus trumps everything. Jesus trumps everything. So what I tend to do is I put my preferences as a primary boundary between a relationship. But when it comes to being fellow Christ followers, we have to understand that Jesus is greater than our differences. And that what matters is that mutual love and compassion and care for Jesus, It's hard to be in conflict with someone who is serving like Jesus. It's hard to be in conflict with someone who loves Jesus as much as you love Jesus. I wrote this, this unity in the church occurs not because we care too much about politics or or church structure or worship styles or secondary theological issues, but this unity occurs in the church because we care too little about Jesus, So I think if we cared more about Jesus and Jesus in each and every one of us, then we would see those secondary issues washed away and we would become people who are unified. And a unified community is truly a community of salt and light that penetrates the darkness of the world that we live in. And then I have to remember that Jesus is praying for me. This is so incredibly significant. Significant. I'm so thankful that my wife, Amy, prays regularly for me. And my friend, Rusty, out in Colorado Springs and others. One of the cool things about the Deeper Life Conference has been to get to know some of the worship team and the leaders. And before each chapel, we gather around and they've laid hands on me and they've prayed and we've prayed together. And there's such encouragement and power in prayer. But know that Jesus specifically prayed for you. As hard as it is at times to get along with each other, as hard as it is for the community of faith to be unified, Jesus is praying for our unity. And so it is possible. And I want to read that one more time, John 17, 20 through 21. My prayer is not for them alone. So it's not just for the original disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. You know, there's all different models, all different styles, all different philosophies of being the community of faith, of being the church. And most of them are legit. Most of them are necessary because we live in a world that is diverse. But the primary way in which we as Christ followers will reach a hurting and broken world is to love each other. It's interesting that Jesus first focuses on this. It's how we care for each other. Often we think about we got to love people who are outside of the church and people far from God, and that is completely true. But if we do that, and I love someone who's outside the community of faith, and then I bring them to the community of faith, and we're fighting with each other, and we're disunified, and we're not forgiving each other, and we're hating each other, and we're segregated, then why would they want to be part of that kind of community of faith? And so we have to first love each other and care for each other and be unified together in such a way that then when we go and we love the world and they come to know and follow Jesus Christ, they experience the beauty of what we see in the Godhead, the perfect unity of the Trinity. There's only one thing that Jesus specifically prayed for the future church for. And it's that we would be one. So do you believe that Jesus is better? Do you, do you believe that Jesus is better than our individual preferences, our hot and issues, our individual style? Do you believe that Jesus is better than the worst thing that has ever happened to you? Or that you've ever done? Uh, do you believe that Jesus is Better The best way to live, the best way to live is to be full on as a follower of Jesus Christ. And the only way to die is to be in relationship with him. I pray that over these last couple of days, you take the, the journey from the mind to the heart. That we leave this place changed, knowing that in fact, Jesus is Better. Better than everything. Let's pray. Father God, we love you so much. You're a good and great God. And Lord, there's so much that splits us apart. So much disunity. Uh, There's so many things that press on our minds and our hearts. So many things that distract us from you. Lord, all of us, we, we walk around with wounds. I have wounds. I have hurts. Lord, we believe that you're better. But we need to know that. We need to experience that. We need to feel that. So, Holy Spirit, would you blow through this place? Would you blow through these lives? Whatever is stressing us out, whatever is disunifying us, whatever is breaking our heart, whatever is angering us, Spirit of God, would you fill us? Would you guide us? Would you direct us? Jesus, would we live our lives today and for the many years that you give us in this short stint called life on this side of eternity, would we live our lives knowing that you are in fact better than absolutely everything. Change us God, change us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well have a great day and thanks again for having me.